Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. So this morning, um, yeah, give us a little theological grid really for what's going to happen from next week towards the culmination of Jesus' ministry on earth before he was raised from the dead. And uh, he came to do some things really specific in the context of his day and what he was faced with in the context of his day with a, a, a Roman empire and a pharisaical system of Judaism and uh, so many different religions and all those things within that context of the day, and then Jesus comes in. God's plan and his agenda wasn't for a nation, it was for the nations. It was for all nations, that's why you and I get to sit here. And <clears throat> often we, we agree with the things that Jesus brought was, well, that was new, but we don't like it when we get touched with the things of the old. Because often Jesus wants to, us to let go of the things of the old so we can then fully participate in what he came to do in the new. And uh, that's what we want to explore today if possible. And uh, often I prepare messages not to finish, but to find where the key or the heartbeat of God is in that. And if we finish, that's awesome. But if we don't, then hopefully we have the sensitivity to stop and to ponder because when we get to that place of revelation, it's like a door, but you have to participate. You have to open the door to go through because he's inviting you into the something of the more. So if you feel and sense like Marilyn today, in the room, it's an invitation for you to enter into something that God wants you to explore because of his deep love and care for you, for your family, and for your future. And, and, and in this context of next week, we get to celebrate Christmas. But the entrance of that and what Jesus came to do for humanity was absolutely outstanding. And uh, today afterwards, we'll, we'll get to pray and to minister and release some of the old. And then we'll get to pray and minister based around Marilyn's word this morning from Psalm 103 for people's healing. So as I said, it's for all nations. And let's be reminded of John 3.16. I think I do have some slides today. Thank you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Everybody, every nation, every generation, generations to come. That was the revealing. God didn't have a hundred-year vision. He had an eternal vision. And you and I could participate, receive, and then pass on like every other generation has done for us. All previous things that were revealed and established to Israel and through Israel were going to come to a designated end. 40-year road trips around mountains, wilderness experiences, plagues, fire, brimstone, 
man-eating earthquakes back in the day because of a group of people who chose to covenant themselves to rules instead of covenant themselves to a father. Ancient constitutions and portable altars and kings and prophets and with some reservation temples because his idea was never a temple to be contained in. It was a tent that was mobile. So everything had a design up until that point, until Jesus came. It was designed to end because of what he was going to bring in something that was new. Look at Galatians 4. From verses 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Say that with me. I'm adopted as a son or a daughter. I'm adopted as his child. And because you are sons and daughters and the family of God, God has sent his spirit the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Something that was completely unattainable within the old covenant context. Jesus comes at the right time and the right moment to say, I want to put the spirit of my son into your heart that you can say, Abba, Father, my father, father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you want to know how an heir walked, you look at Jesus, the true heir. And the Bible says that you and I are co-heirs with Christ in this great inheritance. Jesus reveals one thing to our knowledge, that if we misinterpret who the Father is, Jesus' one statement was this, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you've got a wrong understanding of who God is, you have to go and look at the life of Jesus. And look how Jesus treated people. Look at what Jesus did, where he was, and every person that came in contact with him. He said, if you've seen me, you see the Father, because I am here to rightly present who the Father is to the nations. To Israel, to the nation, but to the nations. Because he didn't come for one nation. He came for the nations. And when Jesus stepped into the Jordan River to be baptized, something brand new was being unleashed on the world. It was so new, so totally other, so unlike anything that had been before. Even John the baptizer acknowledged that when he saw Christ, he knew his purpose was over. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. So if you in this place today, And you forget, you are in the place where you feel that you've done something unforgivable. I want to let you know that Jesus and the prophecy of his life and the fulfillment on the cross, that word that was released over us today, he came and gave forgiveness. He takes away the sins of the whole world. There's nothing that you've done up until this moment that can change what the Father has done in Jesus in inaugurating a new covenant that you and I get to be beneficiaries of, but you have to participate by faith. You have to participate by faith. 
in the acknowledgement of what is true. And when you believe it to be true, there's a door that is open to you to explore the realms of God's heart for you and for your future generations. John knew this. The small part in the story was going to be complete. Like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, David, Solomon, Nehemiah, with all the prophets, was a means to an end to the revealing of Jesus. You know, John comes and he has this introduction which was pretty dramatic of who Jesus was. But they didn't know that he was going to do something so radically new. Just the opposite. They thought, oh, if he is the Messiah, they thought his role was to extend something old. Or if he were the prophet, they thought he would, his task would be to shepherd the nation back to the old ways. If he had been satisfied with rabbi or teacher, his role would have been to clarify and apply the ancient words of Moses. Whichever role they thought Jesus was going to choose, knew wasn't part of their script because of the tradition and because of the way that they were trying to approach the Father. And then Jesus. Jesus inaugurated something brand new. And as I said earlier, often we like to receive something new, but we don't want to let go of some of the things that are old. The tradition of man. Make the power of God to no effect. Those things that you've put in the way, or an old system, or a pharisaical system, that you've put in the way, that Jesus removed, but we like to move the furniture back sometimes. Oh, Every time I walk past that couch, I kick my pinky against it. Anyone else done that? It is the most intensely painful thing, all standing on Lego. <laughs> but what we do is we're like, I need to move the couch. But we keep the familiar there. And we keep bumping our toe. And we keep tripping up on the same things. Jesus moved it. We move it back. Why? Because we're comfortable with the old. We're comfortable with it all because if I can somehow try and make it within the system and get to the end feeling okay, then I've made it. But Jesus came and said, I've given you something new, and that new was going to connect you back to the Father, where we all derive our names. See, as, as long as we cling to the old that Jesus came to replace will never fully appreciate, experience, or even recognize the new that he came to put in place. So today, if time allows, what is the new? He came and gave us a new command. Secondly, he came to give us a new covenant. And based around that, he came to establish a new movement. So a new command. Now we've heard of certain commands. We've heard of... And maybe you can and give me scripture and verse for it because we'll participate today. What is the golden rule of scripture? I can't hear you. No, I can't hear you. <laughs> Just in case you guys get it wrong. Do to others the way you want done to you. Matthew seven twelve. But you know what? That's still anchored in you. Still anchored in you. Someone came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment of the law? 
And Jesus was like, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? They're still anchored in you because if you're not postured in the place of experiencing the love of God, how easy it is to love your neighbor. At Christmas time, we always encourage to love the family that you haven't seen for a while. Those that you may have SMSed once or twice and you feel like you're going to endure Christmas instead of enjoy Christmas. I thank God I've got a great family. We have fun together. But I don't know what your experience is. Jesus comes and he says this. A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you're also to love one another. You see, this kind of love is not anchored in you. It's anchored in Jesus. And it's anchored in your participation to walk with Jesus and commune with Jesus. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the platinum kind of rule. Because why? It's anchored in Jesus. He raised the bar because it's it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And it's about the connection that you experience from him. When Jesus was talking to his boys around a table, a couple of the girlies were around and they were <laughs> serving. I checked that eyeball, I got it there. Because there were a whole bunch of girls included in that room. But when he said that, we think the cross, love as I've loved you, the full expression of my love is the cross. Jesus said the full expression of my love was washing feet. But he said that they didn't know the cross was coming. He, they were confused every time Jesus spoke. It's like, I'm going, and where are you going? And all of these things, he was confusing them the whole time in his preparation. But when they heard, love as I've loved you, they didn't see the cross. They saw how he treated them. Every single one of them in the room went, wow, he took me out of judgment here. My judgment and my racism and my exclusion of others. And he took me out of my anger and he made me this. He took me out of stealing and he made me this. He, he took me out of generational realities and curse and brought to myself and he touched a woman with the issue of blood that no one could help and he, and he healed a shriveled man and hand and, and all of these things would come back into their memory into their moments when he said, this is how I've loved you even though he demonstrated to somebody else they were there in seeing how he would demonstrate love because what he would do for one, he would do for the other. If you see in me, you've seen the Father. So every expression of what I'm doing is the Father's heart. Everything that Jesus did then, he still does now. And here's the thing, friends. We're still on this road trying to outwork 
half of the Bible's rules and regulations that Jesus came and made obsolete. And he left us with one. Such a thing of what religion has done outside of seeing Jesus. Structures, ways. The things that we do. Participants in the new covenant expected to obey a single command that Jesus issued as a part of his new covenant. As I've loved you, love. In the old covenant, the marker of the old covenant was circumcision. You see, many people want to hold on to the law, but they don't want to hold on to that one, especially some of the guys. But the new covenant, this love marks us. It's the governing ethic of how we do life. It's the way we do life that people then turn their own lives towards something that is so radically different because it is expressed in our love for one another. So people look at it and go, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. As Jesus came to entrance and enter this new he leveraged his love, not his lordship. He leverages his love over you, not his authority over you, even though he's lord. Because the Bible says we choose lordship. He's lord, but you choose lordship. Why do you choose lordship? Why do you choose fellowship? Why do we choose to walk with Jesus? Is it out of love or is it out of fear? The entrance of Christ before his birth. There were so many times where that entrance was so big, but there was an overwhelming same narrative, and it was this, fear not. Because if God would pitch up or an angel would pitch up in the old covenant, it was not good for you. Because why? Not because God was going to be the initiator of that judgment, because the law needed either to be obeyed, or if it wasn't obeyed, it was disobeyed, and then there was judgment upon the disobedience. Why? Because Israel chose the law. God wanted to carry on with a covenant that he made with Abraham to the entrance of Christ. But we've set up all our systems and the way we do life over something that Jesus said, there's going to be something new. Why do you choose lordship? Is it out of love or is it out of fear? Do you know him? Do you know the full extent of the love that he wants to invest in you? 1 John 4, 16, we've come to know and to rely on the love that God has for us. Perfect love drives out fear. The context of this driving out fear is driving out what you think God will do to you based around your current behavior. He drives out fear because fear has got to do with punishment. Jesus came to do something new. And he says you can only love if you've first been loved. So therefore, you've heard something. What are you going to do standing at that door? Are you going to open it and say, 
I'm going to posture my life and my faith and my trust. That, that kind of love, because the word love has caused so much pain in so many people's lives because it's been outside of the realm of agape. It's been eros. It's been out of the context of who he is. But if you take the revelation that it's man that's been in the process of pain, not God, then you're going to open that door and you're going to enter into the greatest experience of your life. Because Jesus, there's, there's no loopholes to the way he loved us or the requirement of the love that we need to have for others. So it seems simple, but man, it's pretty demanding, isn't it? Outside of the grace of God, very, very, very difficult. See, the grace of God is there to enable you to do what you can't do. See, the grace of God will be available when you choose, I need to love. The grace of God enables you in that moment to do what you can't do in your own ability. But we take commands often, and we try and outwork them in our own strength and our own flesh. And what happens is the marker of pain is inevitable. The grace of God is not a doctrine. It's the source of life for you and I to walk in to do the very thing that Jesus required of us. He eliminates every single other one and says, let's just do this one based around your experience in me. You see, this is where Christianity becomes attractive, no longer burdensome. Because most of us are trying to white-knuckle this thing outside of a deep revelation and experience of the love of God. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, which means in a moment I can pause and go, oh, I'm going to headbutt them. I need your grace. You've all been there. <laughs> Never, eh, Rob? And that entrance was going, the way I love you is going to be expressed in how I establish a new covenant. So a new covenant, number two. And right up to the end, the disciples were convinced that Jesus came to extend, extend something old rather than introduce something new. Man, and I love Jesus. And if you realize what Jesus was against in the context of his day and what he was doing, you must realize there was so much boldness and courage to do what his father asked of him. You see, the father didn't take him and go, boom, you're on the cross and I'm, I, I, I demand that of you. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I give it up on my own. You see, the significance of the cross was that Jesus placed himself as the sacrifice. And then the Father was in him reconciling the world back to himself, not counting your sin against you. And he comes at the Passover. Maybe you've done any history. The Passover and the Israelites got redeemed out of Egypt and their journey was a little longer out, out, of, the, out of the wilderness. But man, the seas were opening up and they crossed over. And you know the Passover, they had to eat lamb and put blood on posts and the angel of death would come over and if the blood was there, they were spared. And This was a very significant moment and day. 
every year. The Passover is so powerful because it's like we're remembering what God did in Israel. And Jesus takes this moment, he takes this day to make it about himself. That's why the religious leaders were so irritated and so angry because he was dismantling something that stood in the way of the nations meeting the Father. And he says this, Luke 22, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him and he said to them, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, how many times did Jesus give thanks? Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. And while it was in front of them, and he says, I tell you that from now on, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And that was released when the resurrection and then the Holy Spirit came. And he took the bread and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's no mention of Israel. There's no mention of what the Passover was connected to in that moment. And they were probably all still waiting for it. And then he says, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And they were all stopped in their tracks because he's like, Jesus, surely we should be making this about Moses. You're making this about yourself. It was as blasphemous as this. Next week, friends, we're coming to church not to celebrate Jesus' birth, but you're coming to celebrate me. In a religious context, that's what they heard. You stealing everything from the prize and why we actually exist as a people. And Jesus comes and he goes, I'm going to establish a new covenant with my body and with my blood. And he was speaking about the prophecy of Jeremiah and I'm going to read a long scripture in Hebrews 8 verses 1 where the writer of Hebrews then clarifies what has been made obsolete and helps us to reveal and see the new. Now the point is, verse 1, thank you. The point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, speaking of Jesus, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, man-made temples. But he always wanted to be in a tent. New creation tents, you sitting here, you're the tent that he wants to fill. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it was necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Listen to what it says. Now, if Jesus was on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. He wasn't going to give a gift to something that he was going to dismantle. And he didn't come with the tribe of Levi. He came with the tribe of Judah, which was completely different, uh, different and opposite to the Le Levitical system where priests would come through. <laughs> he, he, the father just did it everything differently to establish something so brand new because none of the old 
could come through the new. But we do it all the time and we mix these covenants. We mix the reality of how we approach the Father. And only approach the Father through one, and his name is Jesus. And they serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. For the first covenant, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with it when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I'm going to establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts and they'll be my God and they shall be my people. That's you and me. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I'll be merciful towards their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. He made that declaration before you were born. The declaration of the finished work of Jesus had nothing to do with you. It's a declaration. Do you want it? Grab it. Participate in it. Yes, I believe. That's the requirement. Because he knew he needed to remove everything out of the way to go Are you going to believe? In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The more you give yourself to the reality of what God and Christ inaugurated in a new covenant, which gives you full access, full benefits, of the Father and what He has for you. I've forgotten exactly what I was going to say. The more you engage with that, the old way of living and the old systems of living start to disappear from your life. You go, oh, I need to do this to be healed. And then the Lord goes, let's retrack what happened here. What happened here? Okay, let's go forward. It's about your belief. It's about placing your faith and your trust in Him instead of now trying to put in place what He dismantled and made obsolete. He wants to remove all of those things that you can come to Him. Twenty-five years. Man, it's vanishing from me. It's vanishing from me. Every time the enemy says... You better do that to get that. I go, no. You better put that in place. And there's certain healthy things to put in place in life. Understand that. But when it comes to the Father, there's one. It's called Jesus. And he removed it all. And he removed it all while he was living. And he demonstrated and he showed and he put things in place. At this moment, the final Passover, 
the end of Passover as they knew it and to signal the inauguration of a new covenant. This wasn't a covenant between God and an individual in the case with Abraham. It wasn't a covenant between God and a particular nation as with Israel. Big one, the final one, the everlasting one. A covenant between God and Jesus for the human race. The Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Every generation, every nation, that the nations would be blessed. The message on your lips when you carry it with conviction becomes a blessing to the nations. Finally, something for all of us. And when he spoke about a new covenant, he was speaking about the finale of another covenant established on Mount Sinai. Jesus, a new command, a new covenant. Jesus was foreshadowed and spoken about and prophesied in the old covenant. But he didn't come to extend it. He came to fulfill it. He came to put a bow on it. And establish something new. One writer says that the new Jesus unleashed made the faith of the first century believers formidable. The apologetic was irrefutable. Their courage unquestionable. And the results were remarkable. And they didn't have a Bible. The Bible didn't start Christianity. Christianity entered in the word of God. See, Jesus came to fulfill, not to abolish. He came to fulfill. What that word fulfill means, to bring to a designated end. He didn't come to abolish as in destroy the validity or undermine the credibility of the law. Jesus came to bring it to a designated end. That you don't have to walk that way to find the Father. If the law were a homework assignment, he was completing it. If it were, the law were a speech, he was concluding it. If the law were a plane, he was landing it. It was his way of saying God's conditional temporary covenant with Israel was coming to an end. Let me read this quickly. Just in the context of this that you can go and study. Romans 9 verse 30. It's not on the screen. I just did this for the second service. What shall we say then, Paul writing, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, righteousness that is by faith? You are a Gentile like me. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, not your works. You see, when you take away what you have to do to earn righteousness, you stub your toe and get offended because you're trying so hard. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, speaking of Israel, is that they may be saved. It's not automatic anymore because of the resurrection of Jesus, friends. For I bear with them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Where does uh, Paul introduce this knowledge? He introduces this knowledge in Romans 6. That was for free. For being ignorant 
of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Israel. Nope, I'm going to work for it. Because they denied Christ, because he didn't come in the package that they thought he was going to come in with his Roman helmets and sword and fight and destroy. No, he came in a manger, the birth of a virgin mother. God came in man, the incarnation where God became man to rescue man because man brought sin into the world. So Christ had to come and be the man who takes sin out of the world and he could only do it because he was perfect because he had no nature of sin. That's why you and I become born again. So he takes out of you the nature of sin and puts in you the righteous nature that Christ has. That then makes you acceptable and you can approach the Father. You see, every single thing that we think we need to approach the Father, Jesus took away and he said, I became the end of the law for any requirement that is placed upon you to come to the Father. This is what Jesus did. This is, we see a baby, but we don't see the baby and the miraculous in what God wanted to do and he had to be so specific. Then he releases him in the context of the day. That wasn't easy. And Jesus walked, demonstrated, showed. Christ is the end of the law. Any, what does righteousness mean? It means to be in right standing with God. That's why the Bible calls this the scandalon. Scandalous that it would be this amazing, that it would be this good. And all of those who have walked so long and so far and so hard in trying to maintain a white-knuckled Christianity, just that I could get a glimpse of the fathers looking at me with a smile. Jesus did it all. And now we live under friendly skies. I, this is it's good news to my own heart. I just want to let you know. Oh, God established his covenant with Israel, but he set a timer. And according to Jesus, the time had run out. The law wasn't just ending. It was being fulfilled through Jesus. John Piper says this. Jesus was not just another member in a long line of wise men and prophets. It was the end of the line. It had to be accomplished. That's what Jesus said. All of this will happen when it is accomplished. Jesus accomplished. When was the full accomplishment? It started at the cross where he said, it is finished. And the church was born after he was raised from the dead. <sighs> there was no room in this new for anything old. Jesus never wanted you to have a blended, mixed covenant gospel. Never. He wants you to walk. And he gave us one. Gave us one command. One command. Go and love as I've loved you. And we look at the gospels. You want to study the history and you find the types and the shadows of Jesus absolutely everywhere. But if you don't have time for that or capacity, go and read the gospels and you'll see Jesus. And then Paul and the apostles, they reveal the finished work of Jesus. And how now do we live? Because new creations live out of an identity, 
not foreign identity. And the more we come and the more we find out what it means to live a righteous life, because now that is who you really are. Jesus says this at the end of all of this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's just snatched everything away from every other person that had a legitimate authority on the planet. Again, for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Sadducee, they were sad, you see. He snatched it away, he took it. And he said, because it all belongs to me, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And if maybe I would have been on the team, I don't know who I would have been, but maybe I would have been the guy who got an F on my report. And I was like, Jesus, I just need one thing, and I'm going to do that consistently. What's that? Okay, go and love as I've loved you. Okay. I'm connected to memory. I'm connected to those moments where he's transformed my life. I'm connected to those hard moments that he's brought me out of. I'm connected to those moments where he dismantles things that are wrong in my own heart and my own life. But he gave me one thing to do. And out of that, a new movement was birthed. So Jesus says this. You still got capacity for one more? Thank you. Now, when Jesus came up, Matthew 16, verse 13, to the district in Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And then Peter, he replied, you the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, and on this rock, the revelation that Christ is who he is, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He doesn't give us too much to do. He says, here we go. But what he did here... He predicted the church. He predicted you and I. This is where he prophesied about you and I. This is where he prophesied about a movement. The called out ones, the ecclesia, the gathering of the way. You know, the church, the word church, and the Germans translated it kirka instead of ecclesia because they loved their system. They loved the walls, because within the walls there was control. If you had people that had Christ in them, they were mobile. This movement was airborne. They were carrying the mobile God, because if you go back into history, God's desire was to always be in a tent. He tolerated the temple. It wasn't his temple. If you look at Solomon, he makes this phenomenal temple, but because he had 700 wives, he makes 700 other temples for their false gods. Do you think that was God's idea? Study history, you'll see, man, that wasn't God's idea. His idea was a tent, and that's why the Bible says, absent from the body, absent from the tent, present with the Lord. We're the tent. We're the new creation tent. We're the church. We're the ecclesia. We're the gathering. 
And Jesus announced the formation of a new assembly, my ecclesia. This was also blasphemy. <laughs> Another one. He just kept on giving good right hooks, smack in the nose all the time because it re represents you and me. He wasn't a rabbi, he wasn't a prophet, a zealot. He was in the category of one. He didn't predict a place, he predicted a people, a new assembly signaling a new movement. He filled us with a mobile God because his intention was that we take whatever we hear, whatever we know outside the four walls of the church. This wasn't regional, it wasn't national, it wasn't tied to a sacred spot. It was a movement offering a way forward to every people, tribe, group, and tongue. Someone wrote this from the first century, and I'm, I'm concluding. From the first century through the 21st century, there's always been a remnant, a group, that has refused to define church in terms of location or hierarchy. Always been and always will be men and women who view the church as a movement with a divinely inspired mission and mandate. Starts with Jesus, ends with Jesus. And there was this guy in the end of the second century and third century. His name was Quintus Septimus Florence Tertullianus. Quite a thing. Better known as Tertullian. A pagan lawyer turned to Christ and became a theologian and an apologist. He was both a product of and an eyewitness to the spread of Christianity in the late second and third centuries. Tertullian penned the following words. Crosses in Rome still have bodies hanging from them, yet the ecclesia of Jesus flourished. What shall I say of the Romans themselves who fortify their own empire with garrisons of their own legions, nor can extend the might of their kingdom beyond these nations, but Christ's name is extending everywhere, believed everywhere, worshipped by all the above enumerated nations, reigning everywhere, adored everywhere, conferred equally everywhere upon all. No king with him finds greater favor. No barbarian lesser join, no dignities or pedigrees enjoy distinctions of merit. To all there is no equal, to all he is king, to all he is judge, to all he is God and Lord. Because he started a new movement. Next week, there's a whole bunch more context of why Jesus came. He came to give us a new command. He came to establish a new covenant that didn't require you. That's why you can be a beneficiary. <laughs> it required the Father unbreaking in his vow. It required Jesus to establish a new covenant together that humanity and the ecclesia would be born and birthed, a new movement. Friends, enjoy Christmas with more of a context in our minds of going, Father, help me let go of some of the old, because if I don't let go of the old, how am I going to find the new, pursue the new, see the new, enjoy the new? Amen. Amen.